Hey guys, this is John Sintez with Animal Coach Baseball Academy podcast. Uh, today's guest is awesome, awesome John Madden from You Go Pro Baseball. Uh, how are we doing, John? First off, I want to start off and go ahead and give a shout out to my guys out here. Born in the Cage Apparel. Go to their website, borninthecage.com. Check out, they got awesome shirts. Uh, Born in the Bullpen, one of my favorites. Uh, this one representing the American flag. Um, with, uh, they got some great designs there. Just some good baseball guys that, that are selling some good baseball apparel. If anybody's out there, a lot of dry fit, good quality stuff. They even do high school printing and team sponsorships. Check out their website. Shout out to Bino and everybody on there, and we'll reference that. If anybody's got a question how to get a hold of those guys, let me know, and I will definitely pass on the contact. But like I was saying, on the show, the awesome, the great, the legend, John Madden, uh, from Hugo Pro Baseball, John, I appreciate you coming on. Um, we talked a little bit uh, about um, the history. Uh, yeah, I contacted you a couple of years ago. You kind of seen my business grow a little bit. I've been following your stuff. Uh, very envious of your uh, indoor facility, like days like today, where we uh, <laughs> it was 40 whatever degrees with a 25 mile hour wind here in Northwest Florida, and it was it was brutal. So appreciate it. Um, so, so the people that may or may not know you at home, uh, maybe ran by your videos on Facebook or YouTube, uh, why don't you give a brief history about how you got started in your playing career? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I started, I grew up here down in Florida, so um, <laughs> speaking of the weather, it's freezing here right now for us, us Florida guys, but I know the rest of the guys in the, uh, in the rest of the country are I've got it even worse than this, so I, I can't even imagine what you guys are going through, and if you're out there in some part of the country that it's, it's cold, I, uh, I I feel for you. I definitely feel for you. Uh, but I grew up playing baseball here in Florida, started in T-ball, and kind of came up <clears throat> through Little League, never really played any travel ball, never, never really had any uh, professional instruction um, until I got to high school, and I played one year on a travel ball team my uh, junior year, uh, which helped me get into... Uh, College. I went to a Seminole Community College for two years, and we second year we went to the World Series, the JUCO World Series. So that was a great experience. And from there, I went to Auburn University uh, and played my two last years there in college, and was drafted by the San Diego Padres uh, in the eighth round. Played with them for a couple of years, and then finished my career with the New York Mets organization. Um, and then from there, I've just been coaching, and this is what I love to do now. And you know, I, it's been great to meet guys like you and watch them grow and, and other guys across the country and just help as many people as I can into trying to get some good information or at least what I know about um, out there to help some guys. So that's that's what I'm doing. Yeah, I, I, we, we talked about good information earlier, and uh, I'm a, such a big fan. I'm always looking on things on the Internet and people passing along good information, and, and, and I've always noticed with your videos that – you've been able to do what you've been preaching or you can go back and see videos of yourself throwing and it's the same style of what you're teaching and I think you know especially with the kids that I'm working with in this area uh, up, up in this way is there's these the kids don't understand or at least take advantage of there's a coach or someone that's doing it literally right in front of them instead of just preaching slow motions or whatever they're doing and and I, um, matter of fact, last year uh, I was pretty excited. I had nine guys that all came through, and we did a arm strengthening program three times a week leading up until their high school season. And I did it with them. I used it myself to go throw, to long toss, to go through all the stuff, to to measure stuff through radar gun readings and and stuff. And 
I was very excited that all nine guys, not one of them had an arm problem finishing the whole year. And that was whether it was a pitching or outfield throw or whatever they whatever they played. Not one time did they have a did they have a problem. And we used everything from the weighted balls like you, that, that you were talking about earlier with uh, your you were friends with Steve Belladar. Uh, we did uh, the body blade. We did bands. We did J bands. I, I you know some people are against tools and different tools. I, I'm a big believer if if you like a certain thing and it's going to help you and you believe in it, then you might as well go for it. You know unless it's something that really is putting too much stress on your arm, but there's not enough rehab type stuff out there that you can't do. I think the more stuff that you can get involved with, the more you know, weighted ball throws, bands, uh, cable pulls, whatever you think you can do that's going to make you strong. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree. And I, you know, I think the, uh, the players have a, uh, an opportunity to kind of express to their coach how they feel when they're doing it. And I think that's a big thing that a lot of players need to learn as well. Like, And I try to teach all of my guys, you know, this is this is you. You're the one who's doing it. You're the one who's feeling it. So I'm saying something. I'm describing something. I'm showing you something. But give me a little bit of feedback. Tell me how it feels. Feel is a big thing. We get caught up on, you know, positions sometimes and getting into these positions. But you got to feel good. You know, when you're out there on the mound, if something doesn't feel right, it's not right. Something's going wrong, you know. So uh, that's great that none of your guys uh, had any trouble with their arm. That's awesome. That's what you want, you know. You want to be able to see increases and have no injuries. That's the best thing you can do for a yeah, pitcher. Yeah. I agree. I agree. The the uh, matter of fact, it's funny that you say that. I say that all the time. One of my uh, one of my players uh, um, says he goes, "You're always asking me how does that feel?" And not till recently did it make sense. You want to know what it feels in my arm and. and one of the things I tell everybody, when I let go of a ball and I can feel it, what I'm actually feeling is different. I don't feel any stress. I actually almost feel weightless is what I'm telling them. I was like, when I let one go and I have a great launch, a good lower half drive, and I finish through and I follow through completely, I don't feel anything. It's the craziest um, you know, situation to try to describe someone, but once they feel that one time, it's almost like they're addicted. They're like, oh, there it was. There was. I felt like nothing stopped moving. I felt weightless, and then I finished balance and you know in a good pitcher's position to finish. So and that's that's awesome. So we yeah, that, uh, saw one of your videos, um, and I wanted this is one of the big things that I wanted to talk about. And you and I uh, are are feel differently about this, and I, you know I want to ask you a, a, with the main question, let you describe it, and go from there. But the inverted W, and for everybody at home. Um, I hope John's going to go through a full description of this, and I want to hear your opinion on it and, and how you felt, and, and let's have a nice little banter about that. Okay. Um, so when when we're talking about the pitching mechanics, I think, you know, sometimes we start with the inverted W or whatever it is. We start at some point, but we got to go back before that. I think it all starts in the beginning of the mechanics and two things I see a lot of young pitchers doing that I think gets them into a bad position which is in an inverted W and I think that's a bad position first of all because for a guy for a younger player who's getting into that position once once their hip starts to open that arm has to come from here all the way up very fast and they're gonna get a lot of at whip action here putting a lot of stress on that shoulder <laughs> so I think it's more of a timing thing than a positional thing. I definitely think that this happens in, in, the, in the pitching mechanics 
but it's more of a timing issue. When does it happen? And I think some guys get there too early. So, coming full circle, I think it goes back to the beginning of the pitching mechanics. When a lot of guys, I'm going to stand up here so you can see me. When a lot of guys start, what they do is a couple things. First, we talked about that, that power position getting, they're, they're trying to get to this position and get up high as early as they can. When they do that, <clears throat> you're, you're, not, you're not getting a whole bunch of uh, hip-to-shoulder separation. You're going to get here early, and the, and the hip and the shoulder are going to work together as you're coming through. So that's the total opposite of what I'm talking about. So that's bad in that aspect. But if you get there too late and you get caught down here when the hip starts to go, far down now this arm now you're getting too much and you're putting too much stress on that shoulder so there's got to be a happy medium and the way guys get into those positions I think are a lot of guys are taught to break down this way and open with their hands get them all right here hey in a glove look at that all right so I think a lot of guys when they break with their hands they're breaking down like this and leading with their elbows and if they do that they might get a little bit too high and try to generate that energy here, like with a with a driving off that back leg, and then can get stuck into that position before they let their hips release and start coming forward. So what I teach is when they separate their hands, you separate on top of the baseball this way. So now that 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 arm motion is free to come all the way full circle and up, so they don't get caught in that position as much. Another big thing with the front arm is I like to teach them, and you do it too. I see in your in your uh, pitching mechanics when you're pitching, which I really like. You get some really good mechanics there. When you separate, you can separate with the glove open. Some guys do, but when you get up to that top point, it's going to be closed off and down right here, and it's going to be at least one pitching straight to you. It's going to be at least 45 degrees closed or more, and you'll see a lot of guys pitch that way. Um, and when you get there, you're staying close. So now you're keeping everything closed. And when those hips go open, now you're getting that good hip-to-shoulder separation. So you're getting enough separation without putting too much stress on that shoulder. So, um, I mean, that's just a quick little freestyle on, on the inverted double W. But And I want to I go back to one thing you were talking about with me, and I've kind of uh, – gone back and forth on this, um, and I've talked to a good buddy of mine who's up in Michigan, um, who I'd love to get a, 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 a round table with all of us one time. He's got his uh, master's in, in uh, mechanical engineering, or biomechanical engineering, and he talks shoulder hip separation, and for everybody at home, the whole shoulder hip separation when you're watching someone drive is you're trying to get the hips ahead of the shoulder where the, the shoulder is back this way. Is that is that what you're talking about exactly? Right? Uh, I know I'm sitting down. I'm, I Correct. Yeah. So, so if my, if my shoulders are this way and I'm going towards you, I want to get my hips. I don't know if you can see it. i got dark clothes on. But say my hips are right here and yeah. I want my shoulders this way. So I want, my, I want that separation between my hips and my shoulders. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. So, and what I was talking with my buddy um, Jason Benson was, and this kind of helped me too, um, you know, I was a, a 45 or close guy, and what I noticed what I was doing with that was it was kind of slowing me down. Uh, matter of fact, that video that I put out most recently, I was slowing me down getting towards my target. 
Um, and I had a problem in, in high school and college of being a neck guy, uh, you know, a real tilt guy, getting, had, had a bad weight distribution, didn't understand what I was trying to do. I, I had the same thing of you. Um, high school, not really a lot of pitching guys in this area. Went to some Florida State camps, had a lot of power position stuff, and that's what ended up getting me hurt was power position, repeating, repeating. Uh, not using my lever system and not understanding layback, um, I had kind of figured out after I'd gotten hurt. Um, I think layback is okay to a point, but I think extreme layback for a long period of time, when you do go into a power position and you turn like you're talking about, it, it drags all the way through. I think that is where we run into a lot of these little later elbow issues. And when that's such taught at a, at a young age, I think the quicker that we can move that ball forward, the less layback we have for it to go forward for you to get the extension out front. Um, but yeah, I've actually kind of almost changed where I've been looking for, I've been calling it like this little power window, um, where it's, you know some kind of, whether it's a little bit closed, not quite directly, um, but just trying to stay as square as I can with the chest and everything, and just a little bit closed, not quite, and I'm really, when I'm doing my lessons, I'm looking for this region here. Um, and I do like to go out, like you're saying, and then I'm coming across, and I use it as a visual aid until when my hand gets there, it's my timing mechanism before I start launching and, and coming forward. Um, is, that, is that something that's kind of what you were talking about with, with the, uh, the front arm there, or you were talking about a little bit more close, more 45? Yeah, absolutely. I don't, I don't know which video I, I saw of you, but yeah. Um, what I'm talking about is get starting in that position, so breaking the hands at that 45 degrees. But you're gonna from there, you're gonna come forward with it and get into a line and be straight out when you're coming through. So absolutely, exactly. you don't want to just be here and then yank that, yank that arm across. Absolutely right. But when you break those hands, you're getting closed off 45 degrees or more. But then this movement is gonna continue to get into your scap load and then tucking the glove in or chest to glove and finishing out front. Yeah, awesome, awesome. Yeah, the, the scap load, I think that's one of the things, uh, I want to say Tom House or someone wrote a good article uh, about scap load and how much it helps you with increased velocity. And um, I found that when people going into that inverted W and they're trying to do the scap load to try to get it uh, to increase it, that's where we really run into guys that are super short, ball inside of elbow, throwing just real nasty torque on the shoulder and the elbow forward creating layback and almost underneath the baseball as you're going forward instead of uh, what I like to teach is which is a sideways six where I like to have a racetrack out of the glove down and then some a fluid motion the whole time all the way towards the target where the ball never stops moving absolutely absolutely I don't know if you saw um, I had an article I wrote an article about that inverted W versus a scout load. I did a video too, but the article is way better. A friend of mine and I were sitting at a restaurant and we were talking about this whole thing and uh, about scout load versus the inverted W and all this. And, you know, we kind of uh, kind of got to the subject of how do you, well, how do you, do, we said scout load is going to be better than um, inverted W, but how do you teach that? And then we said, you know, you don't really teach that. You want to play, you want to put a player into the position to get into that separation of that chest into that into that spot to get him into a good good position, but you don't want to teach him because if you tell a guy to pinch his shoulder blades together when he's doing it, he's going to do exactly like you said, coming here real short, getting underneath the ball, and it's going to be horrible. So 
well, I don't even teach the scat load. I don't even say the word scat load ever. I don't even point it out or anything like that. I just get them, again, we go all the way back to the beginning of the mechanics, and I spend so much time on when they're breaking their hands, how they're breaking their hands, and how they're using their legs in the beginning of the pitching mechanics. And then, you know, if they're good athletes and they have good feel, they're going to figure it out. Now, the pitchers who aren't as good and who are younger who are just, you know, going to pitch through high school maybe, and that's it, you know, then we'll get maybe get a little more specific and try to put them in spots. But the real athletes, the guys with the real feel, they're going to figure it out themselves as long as you put them into that right position in the beginning. Awesome, awesome. All right. uh, that's that's good stuff. I'm I'm glad. Uh, I appreciate you watching my video and and going through that. Yeah, I um I'm excited. My velo has been up um uh, from the beginning. I'm a little bit different guy. Um, from what all of the diagnosis and all of the uh, everybody says, and this is just from me personally knowing my body, is I never like to stop throwing. Matter of fact, I got back. Uh, from playing this past season in Mexico, and then I went right into lessons and doing everything that I had an opportunity to go up to Canada and play, and I did not get to throw as much as I wanted to, and when I got up there, it was not as sharp, I was not as fast as I wanted to. I mean, I was still 90-91, but you go up to that league, and the teams that I faced, they were, you know, they eat that for lunch, and my location, you know, at that level, you know, you got former big leaguers, AAA guys, and if you're missing by one ball, uh, you know, high, you know, five inches of, of room for error, and, you know, you're just, instead of, you know, and I was giving up hard ground balls instead of weak ground balls, it, you know, it was one of those very good learning situations for me where I was like, well, look, i got to be ready at any given point. I'm a hired gun, so from there on, I really, uh, fortunately, I have a, a college here, um, the, the guy who's the head coach used to be my pitching coach in college, which is funny, he claims that he taught me nothing because he dropped me down sidearm for a year, and I threw submarine for a year. And I actually got a couple scholarship offers just by playing junior college, uh, Division One junior college in Florida, and I didn't throw in, throw in a meaningful game. Uh, I got a couple big-time SEC schools sent me like 15% scholarship offers through the mail through the school. And I was like, wait, you haven't even seen me throw. Like, I was like, I, I, and granted, my numbers were just stupid. I had like 26 innings, 26 strikeouts. Um, it was It was ridiculous. But you know, like a 170 ERA or something like that, but it was all down here, and I was like, I don't want to do that. That's not, that isn't, that's, that wasn't fun. I didn't play in a good game, you know, plus 10, minus 10. It wasn't, there was no instinct to it. So I went back and relearned what I needed to do, and, you know, they ended up releasing me, and I, and I figured it out and went on to a Division two school and had an awesome year, and it was great from there. So, yeah, that's, I'm really, really trying to preach all my guys, uh, is, you know, really coming out and, and, and like you're saying, trying to get in a good position, when to separate the hands. Um, now, on your hand separation on your pitchers, um, are you a fan of, I mean, if you were to tell someone uh, when the best time that you feel like to separate hands, do you feel like it's at the top uh, with the knee high, or do you feel like it's on the way down to use the momentum? What, what is your thought? Or do you think it really depends on the guy? Um, well, at the end of the day, it depends on the guy. But what I teach is at the at the bottom. So after you start going down the mound, so the, the hands are going to connect to the legs. It's going to come up, come down. You're already moving down the mound, and then they separate. So, um, again, it's going to talk, you know, it's going to depend on the guy at the end of the day. Like I had a friend, um, Josh Gear, uh, major league pitcher, who broke very, separated very, very early, and it was effective for him. So, again, at the end of the day, it's going to be the guy. But what I teach 
if they haven't had any instruction coming in before or they don't feel good with what they're doing now, what I teach is breaking down lower and later. Yeah. I think you did, maybe you or someone else did a video on uh, Robertson and Rivera uh, one time uh, and just breaking down his mechanics. I'm not sure if it was you or not, uh, but that was one of the times that I had noticed and a lot of the stuff that I had, you know, going through um, high school and college and really just trying to figure this out is, you know, I was in, uh, I think someone else had said up, down, drive or something like that and, and um, we, you know, with the front leg up, down, drive off the back side. And that makes sense. And, you know, even I even remember being, you know, eighth grade, vivid imagery of, of being at a Florida State camp and a coach stopping my hips where I was going up, kicking out like you're talking about and started going down the mountain. And then I was starting my hands. And they had made a point that they were like, you're a big guy. Why would you, you know, cost yourself velocity? And I really tried to do that. And, and it really just wasn't effective for me. And then I had other guys say, you know, you got to control your stride length and this and that. And, you know, once again, I think it depends on what I've got really long, limber legs, and my stride length is just ridiculous. And I'm still actually able to get my hand outside my leg, um, uh, in, or sorry, outside my front foot on my release point, um, and, and go from there. So, you know, I, it, it all makes sense when, when you put it all through it. And I've got some guys that really enjoy the, the obsession of, of re-watching. Oh, one of the reasons why I like posting the videos is I'll take the kids' best two throws when we're doing shuffle fires or, or leg lifts, and I go, here you go. You know, look at what we were talking about, see what you did wrong, and, and evaluate it and try to be better at it next time that we're working. And I think that the video um, gave me a great reason to, to buy the old iPhone 6 Plus. The wife laughs at me every time. And I was like, it's got the better camera. You know, it helps me out. It helps me out displaying the videos and what I'm trying to pop out. So I was gonna, I was gonna say that's a great camera you got there. I, I didn't know it was the iPhone. That's awesome. The slow mo. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's the cool. iPhone with a little i iMovie magic on there. And uh, oh, nice. I actually scooped up a. Um, I've got I got a ten dollar adapter for a tripod that I just slide it into it and just squeezes it and holds it on there. So I don't even need anybody to hold it. It just uh, just hit the record button. I've just filmed everything in slow mo. It makes it way easier to edit everything later. So yeah, awesome. Okay, cool. Awesome. So let me ask you. Um, I've got I've had a bunch of different things. You said another keyword that that triggered me. I put it in my uh, my hip pocket for a second. Travel ball. Now. Down there, it is a whole elite thing. I know, I know it is because every time there's a team up here that thinks that they're the next big thing, they go down to Orlando and just get waxed. And I laugh every time because I tell them, I say, you don't understand. These guys never stop playing. It's what they do. And I hear James Andrews, I don't think a doctor should ever be commenting on how much throwing a kid should be doing, but... I think there is a big difference, and correct me if I'm wrong, between throwing and pitching, and throwing to pitch and pitching in a game. And if if that makes sense, you know what I mean. And yeah, absolutely. I, you know, absolutely. Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna uh, you know you're definitely gonna exert more energy and put more stress on your body in in game situations versus uh, you know it's a little touch and feel bullpen or versus play and catch. You know, I think. I think it was Nolan Ryan who used to say, kids these days don't throw enough. Um, and, you know, nowadays, with all the travel ball, I think we're getting moving towards, you know, that end of the spectrum. So now we need, for some guys, not all guys, some guys need to cut back. And, I, you know, I've got, like you said, down here it's a big thing in Orlando. 
But I've got some guys who are playing on, you know, a, a, a rec team, uh, a travel ball team, and then guest playing on some travel ball teams and pitching in all of them, and then want to come in for a lesson and get a bullpen in. You know, that that's that's a whole other story. You know, like where, where I'm saying, you know, you only got so many bullets in your arm, you know, and it, and it all goes back to feel. As a player, you've got to be able to feel, you know, how, how your body's managing it and what it feels like. And, if, you know, if it's, if it's too much, it's too much. And, you know, um, like you said, Dr. Andrews, he put out, they put out a, a resource recently uh, defining some of the innings, uh, amount of innings guys should um, pitch in a year. And I like that. I think it's a fair uh, number. And it's a good, it's a good, uh, um, resource for parents at least because I think the parents you know, was that number one I didn't read that. I I just there was something about it that I saw I didn't finish it. Yeah, yeah. It's uh it's uh, I think it's like seven to eight year olds can throw sixty innings in a year. Uh, no more than sixty. Um, eight to ten is eighty. Uh, twelve to fourteen is a hundred or no fifteen fifteen to eighteen is a hundred innings in a year. Um, you know, which is pretty modest for 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 a 15 to 18 year old. I don't think uh, you know those guys should be throwing much more than that <laughs> moving into college. Because even in college, man, I was I led the nation in um, appearances in uh, at Auburn, and uh, I think I only had uh, maybe 80 innings. You know, so I mean, as a starter, maybe they're going to have a little bit more. But you know, I think I think for for that age, that's not a bad. That's not a bad number, as far yeah, as I agree. And and going through, um, speaking of that, looking at the the professional side of it, I, I wanted to make a, a quick observation. Something I really liked, um, and I, I don't think Major League Baseball would ever do this, but down in Mexico, there was a six day a week, one day off mandatory. And I guess this is kind of big in the international community. Also, everybody always has Mondays off. Um, which was great for me where I was in Mexico because we called it America Mondays. We got to go back. I was close enough to the border that I got to go back to to have some Buffalo Wild Wings and, you know, laundry and catch up on stuff. And um, I noticed my year before when I was in the Pecos League where we didn't have an off day, which is very similar to, um, you know, either minor league pro ball where you're, you're going 14, 16 days without an off day. I noticed that, that schedule Besides that sometimes when I would get to my rotation where if I pitched on a Tuesday, I would pitch again on a Sunday. But every other time, I had a full week off. And I had noticed a complete difference in how I was able to get an extra workout in, uh, more training in between to be sharper and to come in and feel way more refreshed. And it just made me wonder, you know, Mondays are kind of slow anyway. You know, why, why does Major League Baseball feel like they have to have seven days a week, you know, ten, you know, just so many games to that point, even at minor league ball, and, and just how many, just that one extra day of rest, and I wonder how many less injuries that there would be. I mean, you look at Dice K, look at all these, you know, Japan guys that come over where they have that same schedule. They play 140 games, or 135, I think is what it is, but they have Mondays off, and the, 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 their injury rate over there, I, I really would like to know what that is in comparison to ours. You know what I mean? So. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I think definitely you see all these things hanging behind me? Yeah. Jersey sales. They don't want to shut it down on Monday. That's money. That's butts in the seat right there. Those are dollar bills. Yeah, and I mean, I've, obviously that's what, that's what it is, you know. I mean, but if you're going to have – 
I don't know. It's just I don't know. I've heard two different arguments about. No, I mean as, absolutely. As a pitcher, as a relief yeah. pitcher in pro ball, I I would. I wish we had Mondays off. I wish we had two days off a week. I mean, you know, it's definitely a grind on your body, no doubt about it. And I, you know, I think that that would definitely save a lot of injuries. But I don't think it will happen, you know, because I think definitely the priority for them is going to be to make the money. Yeah, exactly. They don't want to cut out. What would that be? That would be cutting out how many home games? Probably about 16 home games. Yeah, you'd be cutting out 16 home games, 16 away games if you took Monday just a Monday, or if you just moved that off day or whatever it is. I mean, if you just take Monday out, whatever it is. But they're paying guys guys 300 million dollars these days. Yeah, that's. I mean, open market and knowing how that's going to be. I mean, you're going to have. There's going to have to be a stop to it eventually. It's just going to ruin. I personally think it's going to ruin the game where. We're already getting to that point where we get to the movie, you know, the movie uh, uh, stand prices. You go to, you know, you go to a ball game. They make you get you, they make you get the 24 ounce beer that's nine dollars, you know, or you get a regular margarita, whatever it is, and it's seven. You know, it's just, it's get, it's turning outrageous where it's not becoming the family fun affordable situation. And you, you know, they're obviously profiting from what they're trying to do. The business model is working. They're getting more money and more people, but. Eventually, you know, old housing bubble, whatever's going to go through, something's going to pop. So, yeah, absolutely. All right, well, cool. So let me let me let's go over some some sequences. I wanted to um, talk about there's something, and I don't remember exactly what it was, but I went over something about, and when I, I wanted to ask you one of my favorite things about the changeup. Really turn into a, a changeup cutter guy. I'm more of a more of a cutter guy now. And um, but I actually like to use my cutter, my two seam, my four seam, and my change up, and actually two change ups that I have a, a four seam change and a two seam change, and I can just live with that as long as I can, and I really enjoy it. Um, but I wanted to, to, to have a little uh, conversation with you about about spin and look and and uh, what the the baseball and what you're teaching down there, um, and maybe we can pick some stuff up off each other. I like to teach you know the four seam fastball. With the forcing fastball, the forcing changeup, um, and with that forcing ch- changeup, our style, uh, the Bugs Bunny change, is, we, is what I like to call it. You know, something that comes in if you stay behind it correctly, has less movement than than a two seam change, where we have our two seam fastball and then our two seam change. Um, I've actually heard of pitching coaches even saying there's no difference in the two pitches, and I've always uh, everybody that's the highest level when I get to talk to a big leaguer when I or somebody, I'm always like, what's the first thing you see, like? You see spin, hand, what do you see? And most of them say, I see hand, then I recognize spin. Um, so uh, your thoughts on that. Do you think spin and and hand placement, when, when you're looking in, in the window, or what we call the, the, the viewing window for the batter, do you think that that's important? Um, well, obviously, <laughs> a, more deceptive, a more deceptive pitcher is going to benefit. You know, he's going to be harder to pick up. Uh, from that, from from a hitter's standpoint, what I teach my hitters is not to focus in too early. Have kind of a soft focus until the pitcher is getting ready to release that ball, and then move into more of a hard focus. Uh, but from a pitcher standpoint, I, I I definitely believe that you know you, you want to be as uh, you don't want to show it. You don't want to show anything if you can if you can uh, 
not show it, that's that's better than showing it. So obviously, if some if a pitcher is giving me a tell whether they're working they're working on a new changeup and they're getting too wristy, where I see a lot of bend in the wrist or coming around it real lot, you know that's a big tell and a, a higher level hitter can definitely pick that up. Um, so yeah, we're definitely working on that uh, on an individual basis per guy. Um, but as far as uh, two seam four seam grip, I, I completely agree. They're throwing a four seam fastball. They're throwing a, a four-seam circle change, and if a two-seam, two-seam circle change. Most of my guys, I teach a lot. I was big. I, uh, my best pitch was a sinker, so I'm kind of biased to the two-seam. So I teach a lot of two-seams and a lot of uh, uh, two-seam change-ups. Yeah, so with with your sinker, I had uh, on the podcast a buddy of mine who's uh, from went to UAB and, and uh, played with me. Played against me. He was actually on the Pecos League show. A uh, hilarious guy, uh, six foot five sinker baller, and then he was just in the United League and he's just kind of. Um, he actually has been doing really well uh, playing internationally in winter ball. He has some connections. He was able to play in Italy and then South Africa, and he's just been able to travel all over the place playing ball. And and he's just a big body guy. So he and he also can hit. It's kind of hilarious. So you know when you go play in those international, they're trying to use you for what you can. And, I mean, he's a monster 6'5 left-handed hitter with a you know right-handed 92-mile-an-hour sinker. And um, one of the things that we he was talking about was um, split change or sinker change. And I never heard the term sinker change. And, they were, and uh, so with the sinker, when you're teaching it, do you go across the seam? Are you a one-seam sinker guy? Or are you a, a, a two-seam sinker guy? Or what, what, how, what kind of sinker are you coming through with that? I, I threw it like this. Um, let's see here. Can you see me? Yeah, it's like I've got fingers, but I'm teach I, I teach it to put the the pointer finger right up right up on the regular two seam right inside of that two seam right there, and then this finger goes right next to it. It looks like I'm on both seams, but I'm really trying to be on that inside seam. And then that thumb goes directly underneath it, uh, the pointer finger, and I'm kind of deep. You can see in my in my hand, I'm kind of deep, I'm not too loose on it. Um, so that's that's kind of where I'm at. And then from there, it's all it's all how you how you finish that pitch. And when I used to finish it, I was a, a lower uh, arm slot guy. So when I would finish that pitch, I would be here and try to get over top of it. This one. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, he was a um, across the seam guy here. Same kind of thing, trying to pronate it, um, and was getting a good one seam sinker line on it. And then he was actually throwing a split or what he called a sinker change, where he was having trying to get that one seam sinker line off a change up a circle change up grip to get that illusion, the deception of what it was. Um, and I just I would always I would be in the dugout playing against him and I'm just watching him bounce these change ups and the hitters, you know, can't see it, everybody's complaining about it and one day, you know, one we ended up getting on the podcast and I remember asking him about it and he was like, Yeah, sinker change. You know, I'm like, Oh, never heard of a sinker change. I mean, that's like one of those, you know, Someone, I was like, "Are you making something up?" And we actually got to play catch with it later. And I was like, "Oh, okay, yeah, I see it now. I see it's not the pitch; it's the spin of it that you're deceiving the guy on." Uh, matter of fact, when I was down in Mexico, same concept. Um, my catcher really—he uh, spoke English, which was awesome. We had a great time. He, he actually uh, only caught me on the team. There's a, the the minor league uh, organization that I was with had a lot of guys in the Mexican big leagues that they had sent down. And this guy was a free agent, and he was one of the only ones at the beginning when I got there in spring training who spoke English. So our manager kept him on the team. He was an average hitter. He probably could have done a lot better, but they have a lot of uh, they have a lot of 
swing down ball goes up theories in Mexico, which was just absolutely hilarious. I saw more two-story ground balls in my life. I'm like, dude's just spinning curveballs up there, and you're swinging straight down at it. It does not work that way, you know. <laughs> and uh, he would be like, no, we're gonna throw. He goes, we're gonna throw your changeup, your four-seam changeup inside. And I'm like, really? I'm like, an inside changeup to a righty or lefty? And he goes, yeah. And I was like, okay. And so I'd throw it, and it would just work. A guy would either rip it foul or be a day early. And then we started talking about it, and it made sense. You see straight out of the hand, and then you see straight white, and then you see inside, you think it's a fastball. And if it never gets there, the guy's either going to roll over it or he's just a day early. And um, that I just turned into this pitch that I just started – you know, Barry, and then, then uh, one of my favorite guys to watch throw is James Shields, and he's a four-seam change, two-seam change guy, and he's constantly going back and forth. Matter of fact, you know, they were talking about Cabrera's. He's, like, one of the best pitchers they've had against Cabrera, and that's the one of the primary pitches that I've seen him throw is a four-seam change located knee-high, down and in, and then followed with a two-seam change, knee-high, down and in, running to Miggy's back foot, and I'm just watching him dominate, and everybody's like, you know, He's killing him with changeups. I'm like, well, I can see it because it looks like a fastball every time. And you never know what it is. Yeah, man, it's crazy, man. You, you, I, I don't know if you remember uh, Trevor Hoffman, but he was a closer for the Padres uh, a while back, and uh, he was there when I was within the Padres organization. And that's all he did, man. His changeup didn't have a, like a ton, a ton of movement like you see some of these guys. But he would just locate that thing. And, and and just mess up their balance and their timing. I mean, you know, it was it was amazing to see uh, him dominate as a closer with a changeup. Yeah, crazy, crazy. I think but, uh, what's the the Red Sox closer? That guy, Iwakama or what? What's, what's well, yeah. his name? Uihara. Uihara. <laughs> yeah, Uihara. He's another one that's you know an eighty nine ninety guy with a split that he's trying to replicate that two seam. Matter of fact, I think that probably hurts him because I'm pretty sure he throws a four seam and then he throws that split uh, with that has the two seams uh, spin on it. I mean, I'd, unless he just can't locate it. I mean, in college it was hilarious. My my throwing partner used to laugh at me because I used to throw a straight two seam, not just spin, no tilt of the wrist or anything. I never knew. You know, you, you hear the same thing all the time is is uh, throw it like your fastball. So I'm throwing it like my fastball. I'm getting on top of it and. With my with my power position, I got a bad tricep throw, and I'm right behind on top of it. That thing's coming in straight, and I'm like, I have no idea why this thing's not moving. Now I've moved my slot a little bit more, 1:32 o'clock, to allow for that, you know, that run. And and just like you're saying, where you're trying to turn over with my two seam, I'm actually trying to do the opposite. Well, unless I'm I'm trying to use it as an out pitch, but I'm trying to stay behind it in that slot as long as I can to really get that that run back over the plate. And I, you know, it's, I actually teach it as a separate pitch instead of saying this is not a forcing fastball. You're forcing fastball, you're doing this. You're two-seam, you're actually trying to let the wrist dangle just a little bit to come across, like I call it, like a seatbelt, to come across to get that motion. And I've got a senior right now. He's he's a, he's a like number three in his class. He's got like a 4.6 GPA physics guy, and all we do is talk spin and sequences and he was texting me all through the World Series, and he's like, oh, my God, this guy's disgusting. And I'm like, yeah, it's James Shields. What do you, I mean, he's just dicing guys up, throwing, you know. And I was like, you didn't even see him when he was in Tampa. When he was 87, 89, didn't have the velo yet. And he was just change up, change up, change up, two seam, two seam, change up, cutter, you know. So, awesome. Um, now, so with some of your younger guys, 
your pitch sequences that you teach. Um, everybody says get ahead, get ahead. Uh, does it matter to you what pitch that is? Let's say if it, you know, not necessarily a breaking ball. Do you feel like if someone can locate a good two seam or a good change up, do you go ahead and call a separate two seam? Or do you just depending on the pitcher? Or how, how would you like to, how do you go about that? Well, I think there's a, first of all, the bigger subject from there, I think there's a disconnect from the instructor to the coach, too. So, you know, the, the as far as what I'm telling the kid there during the lesson versus what is actually happening out on the field is going to be a difference. But what I teach when they're in there is, is at the younger ages, I'm talking about, you know, the 12, 13, 14, 15-year-olds, <coughs> early high school, even the high school guys, um, you want to go in early on these guys, especially at that age. You want to bust them in early. Not the, not necessarily the first pitch, but early in the count just to just to open up the rest of the strike zone. And I think at that age, if you can control the inside part of the plate, you're really going to open up the rest of the plate. Now, with that being said, I like that two-seam coming in. And even I, I tell them, if you're going to go in early, let's say you're going in first pitch, if you're going to miss, miss in. You know, go ahead and... and Get them off the plate. It's not the end of the world that you're 1-0. You know, even though you're 1-0, you just brush that guy back. And now you got the whole rest. You think he wants to dig in right here and hit that low outside fastball right now? Absolutely not, especially at the high school age. So, you know, I'd rather them be aggressive and just attack the hitters with their best pitches versus trying to pitch to the hitter's weakness. So pitch to the pitcher's strengths versus pitching to the hitter's weakness. Now, obviously, there becomes a time in a – in a player's career where, you know, your best stuff might not be beating this guy's best stuff. So then you got to kind of go with the scouting report. But in the high school age, most of those guys, you know, if you're a good pitcher, you challenge those guys, you're going to have good results. Awesome, awesome. So, okay. Now you said something, another key word they got right there, scouting report. What is your thought on scouting reports as far as pitchers. I've heard, I have personal experience about this, but what do you think about that according to the pitcher, according to the coach, according to the catcher? What do you, how would you deal with that information as a pitcher? Uh, what age are we talking about? Let's say you. Let's say you. Let's start off with you. Oh, good. Professional player. Um, I, I wasn't too big on, um, like, reading the actual numbers. Like, they would tell us, um, you know, oh, oh, this guy uh, swings this much, you know, 80, 20% of the time time and they would give us percentages before the game and I never really um, dove into that too much but I really like to to see a hitter swing you know watch the game because I was a relief pitcher so I got to see the hitter swing and you can pick up a lot from the way a hitter's swinging and seeing the way he's swinging and just talking to your catcher if you got a if you got a smart catcher you know a lot of those guys know a lot about reading the hitter so I, I relied a lot on my catcher um, and, and then you know just picking up on what that hitter was doing. And once you see him one time, um, you know, you got a good idea of, of how to attack that guy, especially the type of pitcher I was. I was a power sinker guy with a slider and uh, fork ball as an out pitch. So, I mean, you know, I was pretty much attacking everyone pretty much the same way. <coughs> um, so there wasn't a whole lot of reading into the scouting reports that I did. Um, just really basically seeing the hitter and seeing how – more how he's reacting to my pitches. Like if I throw an outside fastball and he fouls it off, the, a righty fouls it off into the um, 